Hey, Fixing Fundraising fans. In this episode, Andy and I spoke to Hiran Adia, a good friend of ours. Hiran's a client manager at Landor. They're a brand agency. Go and check him out. And he helps to build global brands. So you're talking all of the big consumer brands uh, he's involved in somehow. He's worked on client and agency side, so he's got a real breadth of experience. And this guy knows what he's talking about. He really gets the kind of nuance behind great marketing and what and what works and what actually makes consumers tick so what consumers are thinking about uh, on a daily basis we had a really great chat i think about the the depth of charity uh branding and the issues around uh, around charity branding and it was a super exciting episode and i hope you'll agree as always get in touch with us if you disagree or you want to challenge any of the opinions or you just want to say that was cool thanks for sharing at Fixing Fund Pod on Twitter, and you can find us at uh, fixingfundraising.uk on the web. Enjoy. Have you, wait, have you picked it? Yeah. I'll cut this bit out, don't worry. <laughs> you, let go from the top. I feel like you need to quote Sean. It's been a while. Uh, it has. It has been several months. Hello and welcome to Fixing Fundraising Season 2. Season 2. We, we made it. We took a break and then came back. That makes it a second season. Exactly. Uh, today we're really excited to be joined by our friend Hiran. Yeah. Nice. You went with the... Uh, I did go with the... Uh, on brand. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about social enterprise, brand purpose and what that means for charities. Hiran, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so... I can give you a bit of background on what I do, and then I'll lead us into it. So um, I work for a brand consultancy. So we work with a lot of corporate businesses, not big businesses, to basically get them to try and understand that they need to do more than just make money, basically. And so there's a real nice link between businesses that do good or want to do good and with fundraising sector um, and with charities and with NGOs and social enterprises. The challenge that we often face is that they can very rarely make the link between what they do in their day-to-day versus kind of the company that they want to be and all the things that fall beneath that. So um, we've got really simple simple way of doing it. We talk about brand purpose. So this idea of this vision, this thing mm-hmm. you want to set your sites for, it's not achievable today, but will be achievable tomorrow. Um, what your values are, so how you get there, and the people that you hire, and then your beliefs. So like what you actually do. Um, and so for me, the key thing and drawing the link between the third and kind of fundraising sector and with these big corporate businesses, there's this massive drive now with brand purpose, brand activism that companies can't hide anymore. Basically, they can't sit in the shadows and just put a sustainability policy up on their website and get away mm. with it. People like consumers are now looking at companies and deciding whether they want to buy or not buy yeah. based on who they are, what they stand for. And if it doesn't make sense, then they don't. And so the first element for me, which kind of saw the link between two was social enterprise. Yeah. So yeah. I was, uh, I, when I was 13, I volunteered for a company called the Young Foundation. So a man called Michael Young, he basically founded this idea of social enterprise. He opened things like the Open University, Mills on Wheels, all that sort of stuff. And the whole purpose of the whole thing is run your business like you're going to run your business and then reinvest the profits into something that you believe 
it like actually works for you. And that's what that's the thing that drives your brand. That's the thing that drives your services and your products. And effectively, that's what keeps people coming through the door, whether they're going to work for you, whether they're going to buy from you. And so, yeah, today I think it'd be good to kind of get into the weeds of what social enterprise actually mm. means. And, you know, from mm. the conversations we've had, it sounds like it's probably necessary more now than, than ever before, really, because everyone's kind of struggling to draw those two kind of threads together. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting one. You mentioned social enterprises, and it's something that it's fascinated me that it's it's almost, it's the most disruptive thing that's happened to the third sector, I think, in, in recent memory, um, in the social enterprises now. There's a, there's a risk, I think, it, almost associated with um, social enterprises cannibalizing fundraising income, and there's a and there's a risk that charities in their um, in their kind of reluctance to 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 change with the times yeah. are necessarily adopting with the changing yeah. economy. Our economy is changing, and also our consumer is changing. The consumer is, as you say, is becoming way more. Um, aware of the ethical environmental implications of the purchasing power they have and some charities are playing ball with that or experimenting with that social enterprise element so mm. they're, they're thinking how do we become how do we we exploit that transactional nature of, yeah. of fundraising so giving something giving something back and I think there are a few that are kind of experimenting with that with that world because they're thinking this is the way society is moving at a quite, at quite a rapid pace, right? And it's not just in the Western world, I don't think, but you're seeing it a lot in the US too. Yeah. Um, the rise of B Corps and the rise of like that whole idea of, like you say, that that purpose before profit. There's still profit, obviously. There's still money involved, it's, but it's reinvested, which is kind of the charity model has been like that for 150 years. <laughs> it's been doing that for a yeah. long time. Yeah. It's, a, it's a super interesting growth that we talk about a lot of work between how like 30 years ago it was corporate giving mm. and you gave because it was the right thing to do. And then it moved to CSR, corporate social responsibility, because it was needed mm. for like your sustainability policy that you have to report onto the government. Whereas now purpose-driven business is like essential for success. Mm, yeah. I know that the Unilever brands are like really strongly looking at purpose-driven stuff. You probably know this. Yeah. This, where their yeah. purpose-driven brands like Dove are outstripping their non-purpose-driven brands by I think it's four to one. Like it's mm. huge mm. to the point that Unilever is being like, if your brand doesn't have a purpose, we're going to cut you. Yeah, um, which presents a real opportunity for charities, but as you say, a real challenge as well. Yeah, because companies don't necessarily need charities to do the good if they form a social enterprise model. Mm. That's interesting, actually, because I can see that point of view in terms of the charity, the cannibalization that you guys are talking about. Yeah, the Unilever model is actually really interesting <laughs> in that sense because. Basically, the, the way these big FMCG companies were, well, I used to work for P&G, so they were what the direct competitors. What does FMCG mean? It, it sounds for fast-moving consumer goods, so the shaver in your cabinet, the nice. toothpaste, um, basically it, the stuff that you pick up in a supermarket. So Unilever are the ones that cover everything from walls all the way, they're from food and drink all the way through to things like deodorant and stuff. So they pretty much make more money mm. in marketing and brand than any than all of the other companies put together because every time you go to a shop, you probably buy one of their products. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The difference is, is that with them, with Unilever specifically, 
they decided that their big mother brand, which doesn't actually have any link to anything, right? You can mm. still sell dub mm. and not talk about Unilever at all. So P&G talk about Gillette all the time. And yeah. you very rarely see the little blue circle in the corner. They don't care. Mm. Whereas Paul Polman, the ex-CEO, is like, you know what? That's not good enough. Like, mm. We need to be clear that we stand for sustainability as a business. And so they use that as leverage to basically say, here are the brands that we work with and here, here is what they do. And so rather than think about so for them, social enterprise is actually partnership with charities. Yeah. So a lot of the campaigns that they do. Um, yeah. So thinking about the activations and the, the kind of brand managers that kind of sit on the floor, like how the hell do we get consumers to buy our products? They're now branching out and thinking we can only do that. One, if we improve the product to make sure that it's sustainable, it's ethical, that it feeds into that narrative. Mm. And who has that expertise? It's the people on the ground. It is charities and foundations who are talking to people. Like, I mean, we don't talk to consumers yeah. in the yeah. same way that you guys do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have that connection. We don't, it's a numbers game for us in certain senses. So mm. there's, I think there is that disconnect from an outside perspective that, oh, you can't break into that that relationship which most people are craving it they genuinely are because they don't have the answers yeah for sure i mean especially in unilever brands like if you look at the fact that pg tips have partnered with mental health charities to share a cuppa so there's like a a, a good reason to buy tea bags is because yeah. it can boost your mental health yeah, yeah. And i think mcvitties did the same of like chat over a biscuit yeah um and then dove have their like body positivity campaign absolutely I don't know if that's linked to the charity, but I imagine it probably is. So they have actually built, Dove are really interesting because they've had a lot of bad press with some of the stuff that they've done. Some of the stuff they've done is shocking, right? And mm. like, rubbish. I, I don't know whether you saw the Facebook post of the person taking off their jumper and it revealing a person of colour. I'll, I'll send you Oh, that's so, bad. Well, it was okay. a social media post of basically someone, I think, wearing a top or something. And they, it's a white person, and they take it off, and then a black person, and they take it off, and an Asian person, and it got absolutely crucified. That rings so, a bell with me, yeah, a couple of years ago. I try and forget traumatic experiences, but yeah, I think that rings a bell that that was awful. And it went so, everywhere, right? Social media faux pas, one, yeah, every exactly. rule broken, basically. Yeah, and, and, it, and it saved forever, and they really, really struggled with it. But what they did off the back of that is... Rather than, so they worked with Getty. So they, Getty's just a big kind of image sourcing library of stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. So they supply pretty much every company in the world with stock photos and photo shoots, et cetera. They worked with them to specifically create a, basically a library of stock photography or photography that's open source and commercial that can be used, that has people of color in them. Uh, and they're right. for brands who don't actually know and for charities who don't actually know how to shoot people in a, Responsible that doesn't look like it's oh, totally yeah, tokenistic yeah, and yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they responded to that and they did something positive. Mm. And the thing is, I think there's a fine line between doing something because you feel it's driven by the purpose of your brand and doing it because everyone else is doing something and you mm. feel like yeah. you need to jump on the bandwagon. For sure. And so you've got to be cautious if you're in the fundraising sector as to the purpose as to why you need to you need to feel confident in that relationship that you can you can actually say no because they're big corporations, like they make money and now we're kind of moving into a brand activism space, mm. but you need to protect yourself from mm. being associated with stuff that just doesn't... Because there's definitely ones that are like killing it, like Changing Faces or a huge opportunity with Avon. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that Avon had like a perfect model campaign. And it was basically about like having flawless skin mm. and being incredible and Changing Faces, the visible difference charity, were like this is disgusting. Like, right, yeah. what you're doing is selling products by shaming people and you should know that 
this is bad and people aren't going to buy from you if this is your marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And Avon were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the, on the back of that, they did a massive marketing campaign featuring changing faces models mm-hmm. uh, to represent visible difference. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good moment from changing faces where they did capitalize on it. But there are also brands that try and force it, like that terrible Pepsi advert. Oh, God. <laughs> Is it Kylie Jenner? Yeah. Where, as you say, <laughs> they just took the opportunity without really considering it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Kylie Jenner and her Pepsi can solve your dystopian future. And it's like, yeah. um, no. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, because, so just because Syria's <laughs> in the news does not make that an okay marketing topic. Yeah. And you do have to find the right fit and the right purpose. And I think there's nothing worse than when a company, in particular, but a company and a charity together really force it. And you can just mm-hmm. see how forced it is. You do have to, as you say, stay, like, stay strong to your values and not. But there's an ethical element to that, right? There's an element that charities should feel embo- like emboldened or em- empowered to like hold those corporations to account to, to mm, a degree absolutely. as well. Like, here are our standards. We don't budge on that. And that comes down to this piece about like, Charities don't necessarily lead with their why. They they too they're too busy obsessed with the with the what's next or the the next target, and they don't necessarily lead with their values. They 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 know their values, but they don't lead with them. So they struggle to hold other organisations to account because they don't actually know internally. Mm. Like, what do we believe? What do we stand for? Like, where are our red lines? Are we? Are, do we just draw a red line because it's a tobacco company because that's obvious? Or like, are our red lines a bit more nuanced than that? Like, or are we yeah. just? Are we just going with the flow and when something pisses us off, we're going to be like, eh, that pisses us off. It's way better to have that that policy internally for, for charities so they can be like, we know what we believe, we know what we stand for, and we're going to hold everyone to account. Like, mm-hmm. Not even the charities, we, not even the corporations we partner with, but every corporation out there that does something that they don't like, it, it's kind of on them to be like, that doesn't quite work with who we talk to. Like, Consumers don't agree with that idea. Like that, charity should feel empowered to do that. And I don't know if they necessarily are. Can I ask a question on that? Because I'd be really Mm. interested to get your opinion on... Not our opinions. God. (laughs) We're here for days, dude. (laughs) We can fix it in edit. It's fine. (laughs) He says volunteering Tom to fix it in edit. (laughs) What's the question? It's on on the impact question. So obviously I'm talking about vision and and something that's intangible and for, Mm. for... for like Unilever or Dove, it's like for safety and whatever it is, right? Yeah. When it's when you're in the fundraising sector, right? When you're in a in a charity, small, medium, or large, mm-hmm. my my perception is that it's very outcome and impact driven. So you like eradicate cancer or minimize the number or increase the number of vaccinations or that it's it's driven towards some sort of number or some sort of like here is the thermometer going up in the ding 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 at yeah. the end. Has that model now adjusted change is is it uh, have, has the sector in and of itself have you seen good examples of charities that are still impact there and can deliver those results but are looking for something a little less mm. like tangible not like a, a fact that they can roll off yeah so it's, it's interesting because i think actually our jobs are quite similar in that you connect companies with their why and a lot of the time what we're doing at remarkable partnerships is helping charities work out how to re-express their why in a way the companies buy into. Because mm. I think even if I look back at my time as a fundraising practitioner, I spoke about what and how way more than yeah. why. So like when I was at East African Playgrounds, yeah. we spoke about how um, 
five pounds 11 would get a child access to a playground which is a pretty awesome impact stat yeah. but it doesn't tell you anything about why a kid needs a playground yeah and it it was maybe like two three years into me being there that i was like do we have stories about children that have access to playgrounds and they were like uh maybe <laughs> and we went back and we found those stories and there are some incredible ones of children that basically overcome trauma through play by having access to a playground mm. but we didn't have that narrative and as a relatively small charity there wasn't really anyone out there telling us that we needed that that's a cultural thing as well though that's the culture of most charities is they they work day by day and yeah looking at that like the why is so over here to, yeah to what they exactly. do on their daily basis and They're like we know we have a mission but right now we're taking these tiny steps to get towards that so mm. that's that's I don't know if you know Jen, Jen, uh, Jen Love and John Lett at all. They're agents yeah. of good. They're a Canadian agency. Yeah. And they're both like two of the biggest brains on the planet. Mm. And every now and then they disagree with each other. Whenever they do, I'm like, juicy. Because <laughs> they're so <laughs> smart. But one of the things they like disagree on is like when you're shaping a, an individual giving letter. Yeah. I hope I'm not misquoting them in any way in this, but maybe I am. <laughs> My understanding of it is that... Jen really says like the most important thing is the story you tell because that's the why. And John argues that the offer you make at the end is more important. So if you tell a story about a child um, dying from malaria, mm -hmm. but then say five pounds funds a mosquito net, Jen would say that the story is the bit that makes the money. And John would say it's the five pound buys a mosquito net that mm -hmm. makes the money. Mm -hmm. And I think there's definitely a culture in the UK at least of agreeing with John yeah, on an individual giving basis. But when you look at a company brand purpose, I'm not sure that I agree with him right. because a lot of people do buy why there's that whole like Simon Sinek piece on it. But a mm. lot of, a lot of what separate circles, exactly. yeah. if you want why, which is yeah. Yeah, the basis of all brand work is that one bloody Ted talk from 2004 when he's on <laughs> front of a flip chart. Yeah. 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 And, it's it's so much trouble. Yeah. And, he's, and he's talking about Apple and he says about how they <laughs> want to create a podcast that can put a thousand, uh, 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 not podcast. We're on podcast. <laughs> um, what's the up. word? Like an Apple pod. IPod, crushed it. I love how you forgot the word for iPod. That's how old it is. But how they want to have an iPod that can fit a thousand songs in your pocket, and I'm like, God, this is old. Yeah, it's so relevant. Whereas Tom, with the work that you're doing at Lightfall, you obviously work with a lot more like smaller and grassroots charities. Yeah. Do you find that because they're smaller, they're more connected to the why, or not? It really depends. I think there's a lot of the, going back to your point here right, about that, that, how that model has changed, that is the kind of prevailing legacy model of charities. Yeah. And that is a cultural thing that is, because of high staff turnover and short tenures in charities, that doesn't often get challenged or changed because no one sees the immediate benefit of changing that, right? They, they don't look 10, 15 years in the future. Well, like, for a long time. We have to deliver our yeah. services. Like, yeah. so, so we're not going to rip up the, the whole rule book and the whole mission what i noticed for quite small charities is that they are because they're small they have the flexibility to um experiment a little bit more and, and a lot of them are looking at um especially uh, organizations that work in the homelessness sector because it's so radically different to the rest of the charity world rest of the fundraising world they are experimenting with social enterprises as, as a mm -hmm. to diversify their income stream but also to get in front of a different kind of donor 
Yeah. So the kind of donor that isn't going to answer a direct mail mm. or set up a direct debit, but they are going to buy into a product with purpose. That might be all donors in 25 years time, 20 years time. But they're, they're, they're now thinking that that's a new income stream. That's a new pool of people that we don't currently talk to. Maybe because those other streams are declining or maybe because they're forward thinking enough to think, shit, there's a link here between what we do, whether it's training homeless people to become baristas and setting up a coffee shop that mm. like, I know a couple of homeless charities that are experimenting in that they're still doing their service delivery. They're still doing their bread and butter. They're still running their night shelters, which aren't profit making businesses and can't be, they're all about service delivery, but they are experimenting with these other things. And I think that shows that there's enough of a cultural shift inside these organizations or someone somewhere is shaking them and going like we have to change yeah. like, we have to think about the change that's coming and i think that's a one of the advantages that small charities have is they can be quite nimble and they can do that um the other thing i found super fascinating recently is bernardo's is starting to experiment with oh, the that. internal foundation yeah so bernardo's announced they set up uh, an internal foundation there's going to be a, it's it's a grant making uh, foundation that will give grants um, not only to their own services, which is a completely wild model, is that they will basically get their own uh, satellite charities who, who who deliver their services to apply for the money from a central pot. They'll also start giving that money to their competitors because they've said if there's someone out there that can deliver the service better than us, they deserve the money. So they're basically turning the whole model on its head. The ancient model of Bernardo's, which is about most of their income is statutory and it comes from delivering services that the state can't deliver because either the state is inadequate or inadequately funded. They've now put that model on its head and been like, we shouldn't assume that our services are the best services. And if someone comes to us who's been around for six months and can go, we can nail this adoption uh, service that you're trying to do because, and we can do it at twice the impact for half the cost. You should give us the money. And historically, Bernardo's would be like, we can't do that. It's not, it's impossible even if we wanted to. And they've ripped up the rule book. So that's super interesting because that means that people that are now giving to Bernardo's are also giving to this foundation and this foundation will, will create a legacy of successful services. Eventually it might mean that in hundred years time there is no Bernardo's because yeah. they've diversified all of their services out to other organizations and they've gone like job done. We can, we can pack it in. That's forward thinking. Absolutely. I've never heard that. That's it's really, it's, it's really it really happened a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. They just decided they were like, the model doesn't work. Well, obviously, they've been discussing it for a while. I don't sure, think yeah, it was on a weird one. But they launched it and they decided that it's a, a new way of doing things. And actually, that that's pushing the envelope because the, there are so mm. many organizations of Bernardo's size that also do service delivery on a, on a for, for uh, local governments that are now thinking like, ooh, that's an interesting model. Like, I'm sure those conversations have been started mm. for... for on a, on a much bigger scale. The things that I, the thing that's the most interesting, the, the most interesting part of that for me mm. is drawing the parallels between, I think sometimes we see the third sector and like just normal businesses and mm. profit driving businesses as, as very separate things and they yeah. can operate mm. in separate ways. When you mention that, what it reminds me of is it's effectively an accelerator or incubator program, which yeah. when I was, when I was out in the States, we, we ran these kind of events for startups and we talked about this idea of, building that investment in early, making sure that you basically gave money to the people and took a little bit of equity back so that they would build a product or a service that worked for people. Mm. And then as those things grew, 
that's more money for you to reinvest into other things and starting to grow from there. And the, the thing that's the thing I want to pick up on specifically, drawing those parallels between charity and business, is like this idea of what connects the two. Like yeah. what are the thing that connects the two? And I've got a thought experiment, so bear with me. But I, I, <laughs> here we go. See, so for example, when you go into a supermarket, so like pick any products that you buy in a supermarket. Like any, any, like let's say you're walking down until like a, a, a something that's branded. So like something that you pick up um, on your weekly shop. Heinz beans. Heinz um, beans. Heinz okay. Beans. So why? So you always use Heinz beans, right? Yeah. So you've got the the Tesco value stuff that mm. sits there, and then you've got Heinz. What's the reason you pick Heinz every time? There's no, there's no reason. I don't think. So it's just a force of habit, right? Yeah. At some point, yeah. at some point in time, you, good, right? you picked up Heinz, right? <laughs> yeah. The Tesco value stuff is 20% less salt. It's yeah. like less bad for you, et cetera, et cetera. Half the price, probably. Half the price, whatever it is. Yeah. All of those impact-driven metrics should make you think, yeah. this is the best option for yeah. me, right? I should definitely pick this thing. However, one always picks up Heinz. <laughs> and so the parallel I'm trying to draw is you can be the best thing that anyone's ever seen, right? But if the thing that you put around it, the story that you tell, as you were saying earlier, yeah. Andy, if that doesn't resonate with people yeah. and they don't care, then it, it, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just you won't get the scale and the reach that you're looking for. And that's what I, I do in my daily job is basically mm-hmm. saying if you had two bottles, you know, two cans of beans mm-hmm. on the table, the product is effectively exactly the same yeah. With, yeah. with the small notice of difference. Yeah. But I've put a little turquoise label on it and written Heinz, mm. and I can charge you double the price. Yeah. And so businesses yeah, yeah, have realized yeah. that there's value in the intangible yeah. and doing things differently. And it sounds like Bernardo's have started to realize that there's value in the intangible. Yeah. And so for me, that social enterprise model works in that sense, because basically what you're doing is trying to build value into something. Exactly. You're not trying to say, well, we've already done this thing, and here's the 17,000 metrics that we've been able to deliver. Yeah. Because if I don't believe in the product or what you're trying to do or why you're trying to do it, you will only ever make short-term gains. Like, yeah. Unilever have lived for 50 years, not because Heinz Beans is good for you. Yeah. It's because it's valuable. Wait, is Heinz Beans bad for me? I need to know. It's horrible, <laughs> so bro. It's horrible, bro. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, so many regrets. <laughs> Why did I buy a 16-pack earlier? <laughs> I spent a lot of money on that lifetime subscription. It's a short life. Oh, God! That's so true, though, but that's, that goes back to that idea of, like, the hides of paid a story around their beats. Exactly. There's a story around their beats. Yeah. And you buy into the story, and you're also paying for that story because it's more expensive than the other beans. Yeah. But I don't look at Tesco beans and go, ah, Tesco, no beans, so these are going to yeah. be good. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. not going to happen. And that's the thing I love. This example I used about this homeless organization set, training pe- training homeless people to be to become uh, baristas and, and serve coffee. The coffee is not going to be wildly different to another coffee you get, but their story is excellent. Exactly. Like the packaging yeah. is excellent. It's an, it's you already feel good. I imagine walking through the door because you're like, ha, I'm doing something great. I bought into this story that is really impact driven is actually making a difference for these nine people that work here. But when I'm drinking my coffee, I can be like, this is the same coffee I would get somewhere else, but it's, it's actually moved the needle on something. Like it's actually done something a bit different. I think that's, that's, and obviously Bernardo's are learning that. And a lot of charities will start to learn that lesson. Um, Some of them will do that through corporate partnerships because some of them will do that through 
the the the, the corporate partnership is the is is the is the vehicle. It's a runway, the, exactly, yeah, right. exactly, and, and, and vice versa, right? There are a lot of there are a lot of companies who who won't know the ground that they're about to tread into. So it makes so much more sense for them to go through via a charity, via a nonprofit organization, because that's their that's their runway. But there are some really brave charity corporate partnerships where they're teaming up on that. Mm. So like one of my favorite examples is Andrex and WaterAid, where Andrex have a dedicated space. Because like Andrex Toilet Roll, people like know the dog, they love the dog. Yeah, what's WaterAid necessarily got to do with that? But they link it because of obviously WaterAid talk about the importance of toilets, mm-hmm. and they they've really bought in hard to link their brands in a way that if you like Andrex, you're going to start liking WaterAid, yeah. and if you like WaterAid, you're going to start liking Andrex. So Andrex um, put up like pop up um, toilets that were like long drops so that people in London could experience what that's like. But more than that, there's a dedicated space on their website where if you sign up to WaterAid's mailing list via Andrex's website, Andrex will donate a pound. So it's a way of you getting money to WaterAid without giving the money yourself and basically innately tying your good action into your relationship with Andrex. So actually they both massively benefit but that's also like a really rare example. But there that, are, that is effectively there are. social enterprise in a nutshell. It's cause-driven work. Yeah. It's, there's a there's an incentive, whether it's profit or value or something, that keeps that supply chain and that circular thing going. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what you've done is you've invested in something. Like the, for me, the, the the terminology around donations versus investments, things like that, it's just being careful about the position that you're putting any consumer in yeah. when you're asking them to make a commitment to do something. So the thing for me that I really wanted to get to, and it'd be good to get your insight on this, is how do you get to the why, right? So we talked a lot about the why, and the why is really mm. important. So the way we do it um, is this idea of insight or customer insight or a need or a desire. So for right. example, Kellogg's, which is one of the brands that we worked with, um, the whole thing about them was that in the industry that they were in, everyone was had really sugary cereals and it was an absolute nightmare, right? So they went back to the drawing board. Now, what do people actually want? They want a healthy breakfast. They want to sit with their family or they want um, their eating habits to change to sit in front of the TV. They want to make dinner for themselves so they can grab something mm. quick and easy. So they talk about this idea of natural brain goodness. So they talk about this mm. idea of cornflakes is the farmer in the field cropping the maize, getting it in, and yeah. it's, that's exactly what it is. There's nothing else, no added preservatives, and everything, the whole brand has been simplified to the point where it's just the absolute basics. Yeah. And now they're reinvesting some of the money from all of the new sales of the packaging and the stuff that they've done into agricultural programs in the EU, around the world, to basically be like, now we're paying that value back. Yeah. And it all comes from that one consumer insight to be like, people want simplicity they yeah. want something where they feel like if it's good for the planet then it's good for me yeah that is the value chain that they bring around so my question is the charities and the the, the guys that you work with hmm. do they know what their insight? why would i choose them over someone else do they know what their insight is do they know who that that customer that consumer that don't that donor is and, and what drives them and how how they can then add value to them by getting to some sort of need or motivation on their side, and then that's mm. what then adds value to you. I think it varies from charity to charity, but a lot of what we do at work of getting charities to stand out is focusing on the emotion that they make you feel. So 
the difference between a breast cancer charity that supports research and a breast cancer charity that supports care is that the pain they're fixing is a different pain because the the pain of the research is the pain of death, whereas mm. the pain of the community aspect is the, the pain of loneliness. Mm. And we try and chunk their problem up to the point where they get to that, that point where it can't go any bigger. Mm. So... If it's someone who's deaf, they're like, oh, well, the problem is that they're deaf. They're like, well, why is that a problem? And they're like, oh, because they can't hear anything. Why is that a problem? Because uh, people don't yeah. people don't talk to them. And yeah. you and you basically just sit there like a child being like, but why? Yeah. But why? Yeah. Until, until the, yeah. they get to the point where um, they're completely isolated and they can't without us. They, and you just take it up and up and up and up until we get to that top level detail mm. and often that's what really helps charities do that but I don't necessarily think that's a status quo in the sector I think that's something that some people are nailing and other people's are are basing themselves in their impact and their what and their how mm, rather yeah. than the why and that's definitely something that in the rise of urban driven business charities can learn from that sector mm. you are doing the why probably better than most people it's just telling that story right like and being reflective taking the time to actually be reflective and and actually carve out (laughs) that time and and say we're gonna keep asking that why like why why do we exist they should be asking it every day why why do we exist yeah what are we adding um and if you don't dedicate that time you you forget or you take for granted and then you once you're taking that for granted you start taking there's a risk you take your donors for granted you'll take your services Mm. for granted like that can cause a domino effect which i think quite tricky um it's something we, we do in um, engineering because obviously Life Force, a tech company, we do, in, in the engineering world, we're making, we're writing lines of code, but when something goes wrong, we ask why all the time. And that comes from yeah. uh, Toyota. They invented this idea of like the five whys. When something goes wrong in the supply chain, they get everyone around a room and they ask why it went wrong. And then they ask, why did that happen then? And why did that happen? And eventually they get back to the source of what caused the problem. And that's almost like an existential thing for charities is like, why do we exist in the first place? Mm. You know, why, why, did, why were we originally like, it's that story that they tell, but not in the, in a mundane way. It's like a, what, what, what are we trying to do? What's our mission? And I think for a lot of them, they get, they get bogged down in, in that mission because it's something they have to write all the time. And they just become completely yeah. numb yeah. to it. Yeah. Completely numb. And it's revisiting that on a regular basis because it's going to change all the time. Yeah. It's, it's going to sure. change. Question time. I always wait till Andy's about to take a drink of something before I start <laughs> recording. And now oh, it's yeah. question time. It is. Uh, our first question is about how, like, practical help. Is there uh, any kind of book, blog, website, training course that you'd recommend that people can learn, I guess, more about what you do or more about um, how they can put that kind of into action where they work? Uh, so there's two. The first one is a free one. So nice. It's an, it's a really good one actually. So that so TED the, the people that do TED talks obviously the mm, yeah. spot and everything. Over the last couple of years, I think they've got kind of cliched and a bit old fashioned. So I, I don't think they're as powerful as they once were. Mm. But they've got this new platform called TED Ed, and basically it's their version. It kind of it, it's actually a social enterprise hilariously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. So what they do is they have like five minute tidbits. So they, they have local animators and illustrators, and then they have local voiceover artists. And they basically do like lessons, like 
Oh, cool. Like tidbit. So I get an email on it once a week to be like, um, like how, like how many ping pong balls can you actually fit in an airplane? And then there's a video of like, it goes through the process of thinking and all that sort of stuff or like, um, 10 facts about Winston Churchill. So it's really random, odd stuff that you wouldn't like questions I get on Cora, for example, mm, like Reddit, yeah, actually, you have no idea about <laughs> But then there's some really good stuff in there and they have a foundation. So uh, you can donate. So I think I give like £2.50 or £5 a month. And what they do is they take these lessons to schools. So they like get oh, cool. iPads and like, like all like lots of digital shit, basically they take it to emerging countries like places like the Middle East and elsewhere and they take this knowledge with them. Mm. So they build the infrastructure, put it all mm. in place. And so it becomes this repository of like re like open information and archive. Um, and it's all animated. They do it in multiple languages. It, they're cool. either like five minutes long. So they're, they're really cool. Um, yeah, and then the second thing is, um, so Seth Godin. Nice. Already love him. Oh, so you, you I love Seth Godin. Carry on. So, um, I heard about Seth maybe 10 years ago, like a really long time ago. I thought it was cool, actually. Uh, <laughs> to, to be fair. Is he cool? <laughs> the, most, the most cliche. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he loved him. Oh, God, it's like when you're in a nightclub and you're in the smoking area, and then you mention someone and like, everyone already knows who that is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think a lot of people don't know. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, what can I so, so he's basically a marketing like guru. He's mm. run a few businesses. Um, and so then he basically talks about marketing theory from the perspective of a customer. So it's really simple. He literally sends daily emails. Some of them are like two words. Some of them are like paragraphs. Um, and he spoke specifically about the subject of tribes and yeah. brand as a community focus. So it's about someone expressing themselves and a brand capturing you because yeah. you align to something versus this kind of homogenous set of products itself. Then you're like, well, I know that you buy three of these things a week and you're 16 to 25 and you're, you know, mixed heritage, blah, blah, blah. Like all that marketing data shit, like he puts that to one side and goes, people buy stuff because they care. Yeah. So the more you care about what you do, um, the more you'll get out of the work that you do, the more the people you work for get out of that too. And it, that's Steph. also free and he does a marketing seminar. I mean, that shit's quite expensive. So I probably wouldn't do that. But <laughs> the mailing list is good. Take the free bits when you can. Yeah. Um, and yeah, things, I, I check out the Akimbo podcast actually, because he, similar to this, he kind of breaks down big ideas into like small chunks and they're like 20 minutes long. I listen to them on the way to work. Um, and they, yeah, they're really, really good. And he's a master of public speaker and that sort of stuff. So those would be two, I say Ted and Seth Godin. Nice. Amazing. So obviously we've spoken quite a lot about both charities and companies can be struggling to identify their brand purpose and really deliver that. But is there anyone that you see that is really smashing it out of the park? Absolutely. So there's a, like a couple of really, there's a bunch of really good ones actually, but I'll pick a, a few from different industries and um, and then you can flick through. So nice. uh, Body Shop, Anita Roddick back in the 80s basically said no to animal testing and now they've hired, so the last 30 years they've really been standing out from doing something mm. different. They've just hired a chief activism officer who's killing it. Nice. Me can. They were talking about this idea that basically if you're going to go out and change policy and really push government, you need to do it yourself. You need to pay mm. someone to do it. So she has this whole budget of stuff that she does at the grassroots level. So she's super cool. Um, the Tom's guys, obviously. Um, I literally applied for a job from them a while ago, <laughs> and they I said no, which made me really sad. But and you still rep them? Yeah, nice. no, I love the fucking story, man. The whole idea that like he was literally out in the middle of, of nowhere 
watching someone make shoes and he was like, I want to make sure that you can make these for the rest of your life and you can give mm-hmm. them to your friends and family. And the fact that he basically turned all the New York elite into a totally different machine. Like it wasn't just about fashion, it was about giving back. And the one for one thing was super cool. So that, I mean, that's an age old story. Patagonia. Yeah, uh, Deffy's down for that one too. Yeah, I love him. So they just did a recycled piece of base. You can give in your old Patagonia stuff. They'll recut it and make it again. And it's bespoke oh, pieces. cool. Yeah, it's insane. And the, the quality of the shit is so good. Yeah. Um, it's actually set. The recycled stuff is selling for basically double the price. Mm. And also, because it's basically bespoke pieces. So they're, yeah. they're almost like marketplace selling it. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one's the Tony Chocoloni guys. Yes, yeah. the most. That's famous. chocolate. They Woo. are insane. Like, there's a Netflix documentary on. I think it's called Rotten. Like one of the episodes in season oh, yeah, two, yeah, yeah. where they talk about. So basically, everything that's everything in America is some sort of cartel, right? Whether it's mm. like avocados yeah. or chocolate yeah. or yeah. like potatoes, everything's a cartel out there. Um, but they basically broke it down um, so that the big Swiss companies who are hoarding the bulk chocolate would actually pay the workers who are collecting it more money. Um, and there's like a hot, the supply chain for chocolate is supposed to be ridiculous. Mm. And actually the people on the ground who pick uh, the beans and dry them out and that whole process before you actually get any, any of the good stuff, mm-hmm. um, they make no money. And in fact, they're, act, they're actively in poverty mm. as a result of working in chocolate and they can't get out. Wow. So these guys are like, fuck that. And they... <laughs> They push all that stuff to one side. They they source their own stuff. They're basically their own economy yeah. within their company. And so shit cool. tastes so yeah, good. It right? It tastes good because it's doing good. I'm sure of it. There's something. There's, there's something love in everyone. Yeah, it's like Willy Wonka for the Oompa Loompas, but migrants. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That story needs some work. <laughs> if you were followed around with someone holding a sign, what would the sign say, and why? Okay, so I'm going to tell the story first, and then I'm going to say the sign. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, so, I like it. you ever watch that thing on MTV where <laughs> those mates like choose each other's tattoos, and they don't get to see it until the end? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you see that show. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so, a mate of mine when he was out in Thailand um, didn't well, he did a drunk tattoo. He didn't realize what he'd got right. So then he got back to the hotel. And he woke up, obviously he was rat. Mm. So he woke up and he couldn't really move because he was in so much pain. Yeah. And like in his lower abdomen area, Ooh. and just underneath his belly button, he had it like written really crude, like crude typography. May contain nuts with an arrow pointing down. Oh, that's gonna be <laughs> the most cliche. <laughs> that's amazing. Genuinely. So my sign would be may contain nuts. Just based on that. <laughs> That is amazing. What would possess someone to do that? That's another level of drugs. And he couldn't he he couldn't afford to pay to get it removed. So he had it for like a year. (laughs) (laughs) What is your you wish no one had ever thought of that? So if you could unthink an idea from existence, what idea would that be? Okay, I sent you guys a video for this one. (laughs) (laughs) You did send us a video. Yeah. Just type in Oh, what is it like? Something potty. What did I call it? I can't remember. I can't remember what it is either. But it's it's a unicorn doing a, doing a, a special kind of a special kind of poop. Yeah, just type. I, oh, shit, the unicorn changed the way I poop. Hashtag squatty potty. Squatty, squatty potty, potty. That's it. Just type in squatty potty into YouTube 
on a public computer, so it's not on your own. <laughs> <laughs> you always do this browsing, in public. Browsing history. Yeah, so it's not in your cookies. Uh, yeah. I and see. Just, you can never unsee that shit. So you made me clip on that stuff on my own phone, so that I'll now get out. Yeah, we've had an email to us. It's great. Bro. What is great. Thank you. You never look at ice cream the same way again. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to watch Last but not least, Tehran, what's your favourite joke? Uh, Boris Johnson, mate. That's it. <laughs> there we go. That's <laughs> the tweet. <laughs> That's the tweet. Thank That's you it. for coming to my TED Talk. Cheers, yes, mate. Thank, Thank you for Johnson. having me. <laughs> Thank you so much.